Well, good morning to all of you here in our modern worship service. Good morning to all of you there in the worship center. Our contemporary service over there, and if you are one of our guests, an incredible welcome to you, and we're glad that you're here. Look at your bulletin in both rooms to understand uh, the many, many things that are happening here, including our dinner with the staff, which is a week from tomorrow. If you're looking for a next step uh, and you're saying, okay, I've been attending or I've been, uh, I've been here a few weeks or maybe your first time, what is this place all about? Look in your bulletin. Dinner with the staff right there, a great way to connect with our body and just to hear uh, more about our church. And um, it's, it's a great way for you not to commit to join Taylor's, but, and there is an opportunity for you to do that, but it's a great way to hear about Taylor's. So I would push you in that direction as a next step. Also, um, let me say this, for those of you who are life group leaders, those of you who are life group teachers, those of you who um, our ministers have selected and said, we see in these individuals the ability to shepherd, the ability to lead. Um, we uh, are, you're going to get a letter from me tomorrow, an email from me tomorrow. You should have already received a postcard in regard to our discipleship group training, which begins uh, next Sunday night. It's one night, 4.30, and you need to respond to that. Uh, by tomorrow, tomorrow morning, you need to pick up the phone, you need to call the office and say, hey, I'm interested in discipleship group training. Now, this is why this is important. And it's important because beginning in January, part of our disciple making uh, efforts here at Taylor's is to take groups of men, three to five men, groups of women, three to five women, to lead them and walk with them through the word of God beginning in January of 2017. And that's why we're inviting leaders to come, uh, teachers, shepherds, those that have the gifts of, of maybe opening up the word and opening up your life. And here's what I want you to do. You, you might say, well, I don't feel qualified. I don't, I don't really feel I'm at a certain level in order to, to walk with people. You know what? You come next, next Sunday evening, and you're going to find out how exciting it is and how simple we've tried to make it for you to walk in the lives of other people. All right? So I am asking you to come. You're not committing. You're not committing. It doesn't mean I'm done with my life group. No, it doesn't mean you're done with your Bible study. No. It's just another avenue, another opportunity for you to consider disciple making. And I, I would love to have you there. Next Sunday evening, uh, sign up tomorrow. My t-shirt, my t-shirt that I have on today is um, a reminder of what happens next Sunday. One service in the worship center, uh, baptism service, uh, a service to celebrate life transformation. So the stories that you're going to hear, the stories that you're going to see in the waters of baptism really is a remarkable testament to the power of God as he changes lives. One of our values here at Taylor's, one of our seven values is that we want to see life transformation in our people. So we celebrate what we want to cultivate. And so we celebrate what God has already done in the lives of people. So we want you to come next week if, if, and Scott might have mentioned it in this room already, Kevin might have mentioned it in the other room already, but if they did, great. Just one more call to those and you're considering baptism, man, you can still be part of an amazing morning. So we want you to come. We want you to be a part of that. So I wear my t-shirt. So every time you see me up here today, you're thinking next week is a big day. 
next week. And we'll wrap up our Joshua series next week. Some of you might be saying, well, my goodness, I thought we just started the Joshua series. Well, we kind of did. We're in the fifth week of our series, and all of the work, and maybe I should have told you, the congregation this year, all of the work that uh, has been done on Joshua, uh, or much of the work was done when I wrote a series for Lifeway last summer. And uh, many of your life groups uh, might have gone through it. Here it is. So the summer of 2015, it was a six-week series. And so I loved writing that. I loved pouring my heart and mind and soul into that. But now I have loved preaching that to you as the body of Christ. So we've just been walking week by week with what what God uh, had helped me uh, provide for Lifeway and for churches. And so when we come to week five this week, week six will wrap up next week, but week five this week, here, here is the topic. You ready? Working through conflict. Working through conflict. And so we come to Joshua chapter two in the study. We come to Joshua chapter 22 this morning. Joshua chapter 22. Go ahead and turn there. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you're going to need one because I want you to see the words of God. I I want you to see what has been written down. It's going to be on the screen as well, but if you have a hard copy, go ahead and take that in the worship center. There's a copy in the pew rack right in front of you. If you have a digital device, go ahead and turn on to Joshua chapter 22. If you're new to Bible study, Joshua is early on in the scriptures. It's right up front, the sixth book in all of the Bible. And so we've been walking with this incredible group of people who come to this chapter and they come there and they understand and they're going to learn something incredibly valuable and it's helpful to all of us and it is this, that they are going to understand that conflict is inevitable and that when conflict can't be avoided and as conflict grows... And as tension mounts, actions are quickly taken in conflict without any regard, without any understanding of the other side. Without an understanding of all of the facts and without an understanding of the heart of those in which the conflict is building. For instance, me and my wife, uh, when we have conflict. When you and your home, you have conflict. It might be with your husband. It might be with your wife. It might be with your children. Here's what we're prone to do. And it's naturally just wired in us. We are quick to jump. We are quick to move to uh, an understanding or a conclusion that is wrapped around ourselves. I know I do this with my wife at home. I'm quick to jump to a conclusion that's wrapped around my own heart or my own mind or my own position with her. And therefore, it's hard for me to hear her. It's hard for me to listen to her. It's hard for me to love her. And it's hard for me to serve her because I'm quick to move and I'm quick to act and I'm quick to speak. And then the tensions mount, and then we get in our defenses, and our defenses, we dig in. You've done this, right? You understand that? We, we dig in, and then, and then it just grows and grows and grows and builds and builds, all based on what? Not fully understanding, not fully recognizing the heart of those on 
the other side. It's just hardwired into us to think this way. It's hardwired into us as individuals. It's hardwired into the workplace that you work in. Your work might be for, the goal should be to make a profit or to make a product or to, to serve someone in particular. But somehow the employees, somehow your co-workers, you're not getting there because you're not fully cooperating and working with one another. You're not fully understanding the other side and what, what the goal is. It happens in church. It happens in church all the time because this is hardwired into us, this sense of jumping without fully recognizing and, and understanding the other side. And, and then to make it even more difficult, not only is it hardwired into us, but this is how the culture thinks. The culture is always quick to, to move and always quick to push yourself at the expense of somebody else. It's just hardwired into this world in which we live in. And so when it comes to our culture and you go to the office or when you go home and, and you see things, you hear things from others, it just is difficult to swim against the tide, if you will. And then to make matters even worse, here's what happens. Our culture has afforded us the right of tools that we can use like social media, tools that we can use for good and for positive things in the lives of other people. But what happens is, if we're not careful, that is a tool that can amplify for the whole world, can amplify for everyone who's watching, everyone who's reading, can amplify those responses that we have, those responses that we give, those things that we say that are hardwired into us, and the tensions can mount, and conflict can happen, interrupt, and, and, it, and it happens all the time. Some of you right now are hurting because you see this in your marriage. You see this in your, you, you, you have a knot in your stomach because you have to go to work tomorrow, and you see this in your workplace. Some of you come in this morning, and you are paralyzed with fear. The title of our series is Fear. Listen, there's fear because you, you've raised the stakes in your conflict with other people because you're afraid or you're, you're, you're fearful and you're cowering in fear as to what will happen in the conflict. When it comes to conflict, some of you are fighters. Some of you are fleers. Either way, either way, God has called us to something else as the followers of Jesus. And here's my heart as your pastor this morning is to come to the word and let the word lead me as it has this week. Let the word lead you so that we walk in wisdom towards one another. And my prayer today, this week, Friday, in my study, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit take you to a place in your heart, not necessarily with your mouth, yes, with your mouth, yes, with how you think, but the Holy Spirit takes you to a place where your heart is transformed this morning and that you see there's a better way. And, and, that, and that prayer is, is for all of us this morning as we come to Joshua chapter 22. And here is, let me set the stage for you. Uh, last week we left the children of Israel 
They've come into the promised land. They've conquered Jericho. They were defeated at Ai because of the sin of one man. And it caused a big, big problem, a huge ripple effect because of his sin done in secret or so he thought. And this sin had a huge ripple effect. And so we left them there and it was an incredible ending to this story for Joshua. It didn't end poorly in that. While they were defeated at Ai, they conquered Ai, and then they conquered the north, and they conquered the south. So much of Joshua is, deter- is a historical record of the, of the military victories up north, the military victories down south. Then they divvy up the land. Then they take the land, and they say, okay, tribes, here's what Moses said. Here's how we plan it out. So now that we're in the land, let's go ahead and settle in there and live. Now, this is remarkable when you think about it, because all the way back in Abraham, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, God said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you a land. You'll be a blessing to all people. And it has taken hundreds of years, but here they are. And you read this one paragraph at the end of Joshua chapter 21, and it says basically this, that God did everything he said he would do, he brought the enemies under the subjection of the, of the children of Israel and he gave them their land and he gave them rest. He gave them rest. And it's an amazing paragraph because you're thinking, in the grand scheme of God's story in redeeming humanity, this is huge. Here they are in the land, the people, they're there. Now they live. But we come to chapter 22, and it changes this rest. Because when they divided the tribes, there were three tribes, actually two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. These tribes said this. Hey, Joshua. Actually, they they appealed to Moses, first of all, and they said this. When uh, we go into the new land, could we live east of the Jordan River? Could, could we stay over here? Because we see the land and the livestock that, it, that we have, it fits the land perfectly. So, so we're asking you, when we go into the land, we'd rather stay on this side of the river. Is that okay? Moses said, okay, here's the deal. Yes, you can stay on this side of the river if you take your men and you go into, across the Jordan, you fight up north, you fight down south, we take the land, we get settled in, then you can go back. Deal? Deal. Got it. All right, so the beginning of Joshua chapter 22, Joshua says, thank you. Thank you, guys, you're on your way. Thank you, we've taken the land. May the Lord go with you. Everything's honky-dory, right? You know it's not, right? Because this is a sermon on conflict. All right, you know it's not. So verse 10, look at what happens here. Read with me, verses 10 through 12. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing side, and the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. How dare they? Verse 12. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Understand what's happening here, all right? The two and a half tribes. Thank you, Joshua. We're going to go live now. 
Joshua was like, go, go, go with your wives and your children, live prosperously. Yeah, we're gone, Joshua. We love you. Hugs, kisses, all that, right? And they leave and they say, we're going to build an altar though. And we're going to build it on this side of the Jordan. It's going to be huge. It's, it's going to be made of stones. It's going to be a memorial where everyone can see. And then they go to the other side. But did you notice what the text says in verse 11 and in verse 12? Two times. It's very interesting. Kind of jumps out at you if, you, if, you're, if you're kind of reading there. It says that the children of Israel heard of it. Two times. We heard about this. Now, it's natural because they're not all there around the, the uh, altar. They're spread out all throughout the land. They, they can't see it, but here is what they hear. Those two and a half tribes, before they left, do you know what they did? They built an altar on our side of the fence, so to speak, and they left, and that is trouble. We heard about this. Hey, have you heard about this? Yeah, and it, word begins to filter all the way throughout the land. Have you heard about this? Yeah, we have heard about this, and that is trouble. And they not only say something has to be done, they're going to do something about it. You know what they're going to do about it? This is kind of crazy. They're going to go to war. So you mean to tell me that they hear about this altar that's down there, they get so bent out of shape that they say, we are going to go to war and kill the brothers who helped us take our land. Are you kidding me? Totally lost all sense of reasonableness here. All because they heard. All because they heard. Thought number one this morning. And I'm just going to try and give you some things. And boy, there's so much here when it comes to wisdom and, and, and conflict and communication. But I, I've just tried to condense it down to a few things that can help us all. All right. Thought number one this morning is this. Realize as the people of Israel that your natural tendency is to act and speak on what you hear, not wait for what you know. Let me just leave that on the screen just for a second. It's a long sentence. Let me say it again. Realize, just like the people, your natural heart inclination is to act and to speak on what you hear, not on what you know. Do you know how many times I've heard the phrase, and if I had a nickel for every single time I heard this phrase, I'd be a rich, rich man. And the phrase is this. Well, we have heard. Well, we're hearing. Have you ever, have you ever heard that phrase? We, uh, I just need to let you know that there's some talking going on, and this is what we're, we're hearing. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and here's what I know for sure. All right, and, and my stomach does a flip, and I, I figured this out by now, all right, that what's coming, um, there might be an element of truth in there. I, I don't want to say it's not entirely untruthful. But oftentimes, it's only a partial truth. It's not the full truth. Part of the time, most of the time, when they come to you and say, well, here's what we're hearing, it's negative. <laughs> and part of the time, it's pushing an agenda that they have. All right? So we've heard, and, and here's the tendency. The tendency is for our heart to act and to speak instead of waiting to know and to learn. And we, we got to guard our hearts against that, gang. You got to guard your heart against that with, with your wife. 
Remember the book, men are from Mars and women are from, from Venus. Make sure you get your planets right, you know? Here's what happens. We, we, we want to communicate quickly. We want to speak to our wives. I, I want her to respond to me based on what I am hearing from her or seeing from her, not what I know about her and where she is and what she's going through. And so it's easy for me to, to respond, and then it escalates, and, and then we have all kinds of problems. Well, look at the children of Israel here. This is right out of Scripture. We've heard that they have built this altar, and this altar is really, really big trouble, and we are going to go on the march. All right, so here it is, verse 13. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben, verse 13, follow with me now, and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest. Now, when Phinehas shows up, that's big trouble. I'll, I'll explain in just a second. Verse 14, and with him, 10 chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them, the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. This is every, you ever hear that one as well? Everyone's saying, right? Everyone's saying, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? They get all self-righteous here. There is rebellion in your camp, and we're here to deal with it, right? Have we not had enough of the sin of Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord? That you too may turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you too rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Skip down to verse 20. Did not Achan the son of Zerah break faith in the matter of the devoted things and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel and he did not perish alone for his iniquity. Now it's a long paragraph, but I wanted you to hear the words of someone who has jumped to conclusions, someone who has moved out and acted and quickly and is accusing and has pushed this judgment of God upon the people without fully understanding their heart, without fully understanding all the facts. Here, here, here's what we're going to do, folks. We, we're going to bring Feinhaus the priest, and we're going we're to deal with this. The reason when Feinhaus shows up that that can scare the living daylights out of everybody is this. Back in Numbers, some of the men started having sexual relationships with prostitutes. And the prostitutes um, led the men and led the people as they're wandering in the wilderness, led them to worship these other gods. And so um, God said, no, you're not going to do that. And he sent a plague and 24,000 people were wiped out. And so when Feinhaus comes on the scene, Feinhaus is the one who says, okay, 
plague's done. He goes before the Lord, he takes care of business. So they said, hey, fine house, fine house. You gotta go take care of business. Yeah, so you and the leaders of the family, you go over there and they begin working up in their hearts and in their minds something that is incredibly valid. We don't want the two and a half tribes to worship other gods because they're gonna wipe out them and they're gonna wipe out us. Look, there's a, there, there, there's a, there's a portion of the thinking of the people that is, that is good, that wants them to, to get where they are. They want them to understand fully but here's the problem. Here's the problem. They jumped to a conclusion and acted on it without fully understanding the, full, the, the, the issue. And so in their minds, the tensions raise and the, and the urgency comes out. And in their minds, there is an imagination of this is going to happen to you and it's going to happen to us. And there's this fear and this anxiety and this worry that has come up because they have rushed right in and made conclusions in this conflict. We do the same things. There, there is fear on our hearts. There's fear in our minds. There's fear in your relationships right now because you have worked it up. You have, have, have imagined, we all do it. We, we imagine ourselves in situations where we cannot believe it. And we put ourselves in the place of God working and moving. And we become fearful. People are afraid. And here's the second thought, and I hope this helps you this morning. Second thought is this. Listen to others with grace and with space to keep control of your own thoughts and your own words. All right? If the, if the people would have done this, if they would have given some grace and they would have given some space, they would have been better able to control their thoughts and better able to control the words and better able to control your acts. Sometimes this is the best thing you can do is just to pull back and to listen with grace and with space so that you don't escalate, you don't move into and work into the conflict with your husband or with your employer or with your boss or with whoever it might be. You don't move into that escalating space quickly. James says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's a great combination. Which brings us to the third thought this morning, and it is this, take the hard step of speaking directly yet openly. All right, so what do you do? You take the really difficult step of going to somebody and speaking openly and directly to them. This is what the people do. You've got to give them credit for this. They, they come over. They send fine house. They send representatives over. The whole nation can't come over. Fine house, you go over there and you speak directly and you speak openly to them. Now, they jump to conclusions, but at least they're going to them. And here's what, what I, I want to share with you. I want to share with you the words of Jesus on conflict because I think it goes right to the heart of speaking directly and openly. Here's Jesus on conflict, all right? So this is letter A. So number three, take the hard step of speaking directly yet openly. We take our cues from Jesus. So letter A, Jesus on conflict. Here is what we understand from Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Listen to this verse. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, listen to Jesus, 
leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Jesus says, if you are offering your gift, if you're participating in worship this morning, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you have been the cause of them stumbling, you've been the cause of them falling, you've been the cause in some way. Here's what Jesus says. Now, you've got to walk through this with wisdom and with, and with discernment and with understanding and patience. But Jesus says, I would rather you stop your external religious worship stuff and get the heart thing with people right first. Because the heart thing with people right indicates a heart that is submissive and sensitive to the lordship of Jesus. Wow. Jesus, this is difficult. It is. But if we're going to deal with conflict that tangles us up and tears our homes apart and tears our uh, workplaces apart and tears our churches apart, this is worth doing because God can bring incredible blessing out. Jesus, again, on conflict, has something for somebody else, though, when he says this. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. And here's what Jesus is saying here, that if your brother sins against you. So either way, <laughs> Jesus isn't letting anybody off the hook here. I, I didn't hear this growing up. Jesus isn't letting anybody off the hook here based on my reading here. He says, if you've sinned against someone and you know it, your responsibility is to go reconcile. But if someone has sinned against you and you know it, you go. He's got both ends covered, doesn't he? That you go and with great humility and with great patience and with great understanding, with a sense of not proving right, with a sense of not preserving yourself, not proving wrong. You have nothing to prove other than Jesus has called me to live in a way that is different than what is hardwired into me and hardwired into the culture. And I will be different and distinctive from the culture and what's hardwired into my sinful soul. And I will simply take the hard step of going to people and saying, I've sinned against you. Or I, I think you, you've sinned against me. Can we talk? Can we do it directly, openly with one another? The reason Jesus says you go alone in Matthew chapter 18 is to prevent gossip and further damage. Jesus is very, very clear on this. Keep it one-on-one -on -one if you can, so that it doesn't spill out, so people won't say, well, I've heard that. <laughs> keep it contained. Keep it there. 
And remember, you're under the lordship of Jesus, and it's not going to seem fair. It's not going to seem right. It's going to seem hard, but you're under the lordship of Jesus when you do this, and he will help you. He says, go alone, one-on-one, and share your heart. And then if necessary, someone has sinned against you, and it's very evident that you take other people with him. You know why he wants you to take other people with him is the accountability of you and them working towards reconciliation. It's not to get people. What Jesus is after is for healing. What Jesus is after is for reconciliation, for the glory of his church and his name. Letter B under number three, so that's Jesus on conflict. Letter B, Jesus on communicating, all right? Hopefully this will help you. Jesus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. So go to someone directly and openly. Letter A, Jesus gives us a prescription on conflict. Letter B, he gives us a principle to follow, and it is this, love your neighbor as yourself. I would hope that when we communicate to our wives this afternoon, when we communicate to our children this afternoon, when we communicate to one another, that we afford, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, that we afford and express the same courtesy and understanding that we want to them. That we, we give a freedom and an openness for them to respond to us because that's how we would want to be understood and that's how we would want to be treated. We would use words and we would ascribe motives that we would want ascribed to us. And Jesus is very clear when he says, this is an incredible word for the church that you are to love your neighbor, not just those outside the walls, but those within the walls in particular, as you would love yourself, as you would want to be treated, as you would want to be talked about, as you would want to be confronted, as you would want to be in relationship with others, you give to them. You say, I'll I'll model the way. I'll lead the way here. It's hard, but I will lead the way. And you know what? I'm under the lordship of Jesus and he will take care of me, right? Jesus, I'm communicating. Which brings us quickly to the fourth thing. And here's a point that I didn't really see coming, but it's a valid one, all right? Verse 22. Now, let's go. Let's get back to the story real quick, and we'll wrap it up. So, Finehas and the tribes come over. You guys are rebellious. The judgment of God is coming upon us. We're afraid. (laughs) Look at verse 22. All right, the two and a halves. Not what you put in your milk or in your coffee this morning, but the two and a half tribes, all right? The two and a half say this. They finally speak. Whew. Glad they got a word in edgewise, right? They say this. The mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows. Wow, that's a great word right there. He knows our hearts. And let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, Do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. So in other words, if that is what we're accused of, may it be. But it's not. It's not. No. Look at this next line. But we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, 
What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offerings or for sacrifice, but to be, here's why we did it, to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion and the Lord. Man, can you hear their heart here? They're like, whoa, whoa. We were afraid. Thought number four, don't hide your fears. Don't tuck them away, but communicate them in, with great humility. Some of you people pleasers in the room, and I'm one, some of you this might help you enormously. Because here's what you want. You want to please. You don't want conflict. And you take your fears. Here's what they were afraid of. The children, our children and the generations to come. While they're over here on this side of the Jordan and the other people are going to look at us and they're going to say, um, we don't want anything to do with you because you're on that side of the Jordan. You don't belong to us anymore. So, so you stay over there, and they're fearful. And they said, no, we love you. We want unity. We want peace. We, we want our children to worship with the one true God. And so we're afraid, and that's why we did it. And you people, please, here's what you'll do. Here's what I'll do. You'll be afraid, and you'll hide the fear, and you'll tuck it down, and you'll just wait, and you'll quickly act without any sense of communicating to the other side. What if the two and a halves would have said to the nine and a halves, hey, gang, we want, we want to build an altar to the Lord. Wow, I think they'd have a different response. You're kidding me. I mean, what a great source of unity. But they didn't. <laughs> they didn't communicate. Don't hide your fears. Some of you live in, in fear because you've worked yourself up. Some of you live in fear because you're, you're cowering down. Communicate with great humility. Fifth point, we're done this morning. Look at verses 30 and 31. And the fifth point is this. Pursue the presence of God in the place of preserving yourself. Pursue the presence of God in the place of preserving yourself. This is ultimately the hard issue here. Verse 30 and 31, how does this end? When Finehouse the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. Whew. It's good. Finehouse, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is in our midst. Let's stop right there. Today we know the Lord is here. And that brings peace. And that brings unity. There's a sense of finally coming to an understanding that the unity and the peace that would be preserved as they both worshiped the Lord, as they both wanted the presence of God to be a part of the people and a part of the generations and the children to come, as their eyes were lifted 
upward, not horizontally, not across the river, as their eyes weren't looking inside in their hearts and inside their minds and weren't tangled up there, as their eyes were lifted up, they suddenly recognized that the presence of the Lord was more important than any personal feeling, any personal emotion, any personal agenda. And this is what we need in our homes, and this is what we need in our church. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, Finally, all of you, I'm going to read it on the screen here, have unity of mind so I can see you. Have unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love and a tender heart and a humble mind and don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing and I see a picture here of Jesus who when reviled that word reviled sparks to mind Jesus the words the reviling the opposition and his response was my heart and my body is in the hands of the father and I will let him I will let him do what is right but I will serve and I will suffer because my heavenly Father will take care of them and he will take care of me. This is a huge face step. But Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Into your hands I commit myself, my spirit. Wow. There's the gospel. Bring the sacrifice and service and forgiveness and mercy of the gospel afforded to you, to you and you and you. The gospel afforded to you by him. And take it. Say, I don't understand it. Doesn't seem fair. But I'll take it. And I will love. And I will give. And I'll walk in wisdom. Let's pray right now. Father, will you take this gospel that we love and apply it to hearts this morning? Father, listen, listen, Father. For those that need forgiveness and mercy, give it. For those that need healing, give it. For those that need courage, may they see Christ and the power of the resurrection. May it give hope. And may we walk out of here not guilty and condemned, but may we walk out of here in awe of the power of the cross to forgive us the 
resurrection to empower us. And may we see Almighty God up there, Father. May we see you, not what we see right across. Father, I need this gospel for me and Sheree and my kids. I need this gospel. We need this gospel, Lord. And may it change our hearts. We confess, we submit, we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this room, will you please stand with me? And Scott, Scott's going to lead us and um, in singing to our God. And some of you might need to come forward. Some of you might need to come forward for baptism or membership. Some of the things we've talked about, you might want to say, hey, hey, pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Some of you might just need to pray. Some of you might just need to plop down right there, right there where you are. Just pour your heart out to the Lord this morning. All right, Scott, thank you for leading us so well, brother. Come on, let's close our time together.